Yeah, it's the People Show. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah here in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. A lot to come on the show today. Evan Rowell is going to join us. Uh, Colorado Hockey Now. Avalanche signing... Um, Russ, Ross Colton to a four-year, $16 million deal yesterday. What are the abs up to? So try to get back uh, to the Stanley Cup circle. And where does Ross Colton uh, rank amongst stars in Colorado? <laughs> Probably not uh, very high. I don't know, but it did seem like a pretty expensive contract for Ross Colton. Although you look at the numbers, not a bad player. Pretty good production the last couple of years with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Jeremy Calton, Abby Canucks head coach, will join us uh, after 2 o'clock. What does the uh, offseason look like for a coach? Plus uh, his thoughts on uh, where the next development step is for a lot of players that will be returning to that Abbotsford Canucks roster. Bob Nightingale, USA Today, as uh, the Shohei Otani sweepstakes continue around Major League Baseball. Hit another dinger last night, his three in his last three games. I'd say he's pretty good. He's going to chase down Aaron Judge's record this year, it seems. Well, not record, but, uh, you know, Aaron Judge had the 60-plus homers last year, and now looks like Otani might do it this year. Yeah, I mean, he's he, he, he's he's very good, but he's on pace for, what, 58 right now? Something like that, yeah. 57 or something. So It's close. It's getting there. It's so hard to hit 60. The idea though. that he could get 60 at all is just I know, it's unreal. But are you, are you betting on him getting 60? Because mm-hmm. I'm not. I don't bet like even last year. I uh, I would have probably bet against Aaron Judge. Yeah, we'll we'll have to dive into this a little bit more, but it's it's kind of like betting on somebody to score sixty goals in the National Hockey League. How often is it going to happen? It happens, know. just it, not, not as often. I mean, Pasternak. Yes, right. Uh, Matthews got to it. Uh, we saw Stamkos do it. Obviously Ovechkin, but doesn't happen all that often. Kind of like 60 homers in Major League Baseball. Like how many guys have scored 60 goals in NHL history? Uh, in like recent memory, it's I think just those three, isn't it? In Matthews, memory, Stammer, and Ovechkin. Yeah. Yeah. Other than that, I don't think McDavid there's... got 60. Oh, that's right. Yes. McDavid got 60. This year. Yeah. Oh, well, Palva Burry did it in the past as well a couple times. Remember McDavid was like... <laughs> Well, is it, McDavid went into this year. He's like, oh, you guys think I can't score as much as Austin Matthews? I will show you. <laughs> I'll show you. Well, I know. I mean, th- the funny thing is like. Drop 60. <laughs> I'm looking at the list of um, players who scored 60 or more goals in a single season. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just funny to watch Gretzky who had 92 in a year. Yes. And then Gretzky, 87. Brett Hall, 86. Mario, 85. Yep. Is anybody g- going to get to 70 again? I don't know, but you know the 80s were a wild time because Bernie Nichols scored 70 in one season. Bernie Nichols, though, was, was a G, man. Bernie Nichols, good, great hockey player. All right, so that's telling me not to hate on Bernie Nichols. Don't hate on Bernie Nichols. Look, we're just getting warmed up for uh, Puck Doku <laughs> a little bit later on today with uh, some of the names we're bringing up here. I hope they have 60 the goal scorers because uh, I've done my homework on those ones right now. Uh, I can confirm. I've seen the table today. No, no 60 no? goal scorers. No, that's too bad. Uh, but we'll, we will be looking at... Uh, 
at, at some big-time point scorers at the Puck Doku for later today. That We'll play that after 3.30 and the show with some fun so you can play along with us. 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. You can get in there with a question or a comment for us throughout the course of the program as we're here with you until 4 o'clock. We do have some Canucks news. Yeah. Aside from the team uh, releasing single-game tickets on sale over the last 24 hours, they uh, they had one of their assistant GMs poached. Brad Tree Living and the Toronto Maple Leafs have hired Derek Clancy away from the Canucks to be their assistant general manager of player personnel. Uh, the Maple Leafs, uh, maybe the one team in the league that uh, deserves more jokes than the Canucks for how many AGMs they have. But Clancy is now added to that growing roster in the front yeah. office for the Maple Leafs. Yeah, and Brad Trey Living continues to to pilfer Vancouver uh, Canucks, whether they're front office uh, employees or coaches or players. players. Doesn't matter. Yeah. If, if you're associated with the Vancouver Canucks, Brad Trey Living has you in his crosshairs. I'm, I, for one, am shocked he hasn't traded for JT Miller yet. I know. No matter what, <laughs> you know, no matter what era of the Canucks, like if, if Brad Trey Living has a chance to hire you with the Maple Leafs now, he'll do it. He might hire, hire the fans too. Like who's a super fan? He'll come and hire one of those guys. If you're a good Twitter warrior, hey, he may you come cannot and hire you. take Crazy P out of uh, Rogers Arena, okay? <laughs> Yeah, probably not. Nobody is take nobody is poaching crazy P out of Rogers Arena. Nope. All right. No, the budget's not big enough. So, but yeah, <laughs> but yeah, Clancy goes. And technically, so so I mean, it's easy to look at and say he's just making a sideways move. Yeah. It's an AGM position for another AGM position. But he is getting an added title. Mm-hmm. Player personnel. Player personnel. And I would imagine there is a bit of a salary increase as well. Mm-hmm. And I okay, so I don't think Vancouver will, Vancouver was actively looking to make their front office smaller. Right. I don't think they were trying to do that. Yeah. But all along, I think they were open to somebody leaving and not necessarily replacing them. And I don't mean that in in terms of like, oh, they felt like they had too many cooks in the kitchen or anything. They've hired a lot of people. Yeah. And part of it was let's bring a lot of people on board and kind of see how it all f- fills together, and we'll see if we have redundancies anywhere. And I'm not saying there was a redundancy anywhere with Clancy or anybody else, but the sense I got was if somebody got taken from Vancouver's front office at some point, they probably wouldn't be replacing them because they feel like they have enough people on board. And you might look at the Leafs front office situation and say, well, they have more, so why can't you not? I mean, and sure, you can always make the argument, have more people involved or whatever, but there was a sense out there that if somebody left Vancouver from the front office, yeah, and there were some discussions about Cami Granato earlier this year. Remember, there were rumors about her and Castonguay potentially yep. finding their way out to Philly and stuff like that. There were some rumblings that some of the Vancouver front office people were being at least considered for certain positions around the league. And with that being the case, I don't think they were looking to replace them necessarily. So I don't know if Vancouver views this as a big loss. I know Jim Rutherford, you know, was obviously sent put a statement out about yep. this and, you know, had a lot of positive things to say about Clancy. But I just think it's one of those situations where he got a bit more money, got a bit of an added title, and that's something that Vancouver wasn't going to get in his way for. And when you have enough AGMs, are you going to be poning up extra and do everything you can to keep a guy? Like, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, you know he uh, he has a long-standing history as well with uh, Brad Tree Living. Um, you know, before his time in Pittsburgh, did work with uh, Tree Living. Uh, they also played in the ECHL together, so. Uh, Tree Living and Derek Clancy do go way back, and 
For Jim Rutherford, it was his first hire as president of Hockey Ops with the Vancouver Canucks, and he had this to say in a statement. Derek has been with me since I started in Pittsburgh and a terrific hockey guy. This is a situation that works well for both the Canucks and Maple Leafs. We have a lot of good people in our organization, and while we won't be adding another assistant GM at this time, with the addition of Scott Young last year, I am very confident in our group and its ability to do the job. That is from Jim Rutherford and speaks to what you had just mentioned. I think the front office now feels uh, they are up and running and they have uh, laid out each of the um, duties for everyone involved. And, you know, I'm sure this will mean that a little bit more is going on to somebody's plate amongst the assistant general yeah. managers, but, you know, they'll work that out as time goes on. And, yet, you know, he mentioned Scott Young, who's part of the development and yeah. uh, department. And a lot of the stuff that Clancy did was on the pro and amateur side mm-hmm. of stuff and scouting and everything like that. So I'd imagine that Clancy's role to some degree, some of it will be given to Scott Young. And I think Cammy is going to be heading up a lot of those departments already as it was. Yeah. So I think they have enough people there to do it. I see people wondering, you know, why was he at the draft table, for instance? I I, I don't see the issues there. Yeah. Like, this is, this is stuff that well, happens this is every because, single this year. This is because of the all-access video, though, where Clancy is heard on the video uh, suggesting that it's not... Like, that, the, if the Canucks move down and make that trade with Buffalo, whatever was on the table, that they may not end up getting Tom Willander. Yeah, but it wasn't Clancy making the decision. No. The Clancy is a voice. Yes. You know, those all-access videos, they're not all-access. Yes. They're, they're selected access. <laughs> they, they, they're called all-access, but that's... They choose what goes to it, obviously. There's a, a heavy amount of editing that goes into that three-minute video or whatever it is. Well, there's two days of drafts, yeah. right? And plus, an, you know, extra day of meetings, whatever they have plus to set up. Plus, they had Viz from, you know, going the all the meetings. way back to uh, the draft meetings so they, and even the Combine in Buffalo. So they put together about what I'd say upwards of 20 hours of deliberation yeah. into a four-minute clip. <laughs> so I'd, I'd say that everyone needs to really relax when it comes to what, also, trying to like, read into those like, clips or whatever it how is. Does, uh, like, this whole narrative, it doesn't make any sense. Like, what? You, Clancy's already working for the Leafs by telling the Canucks not to move down to 13? Like, I don't... <laughs> and it's not hit, like I said, it's not just his decision. The yeah. entire front office and scouting department, they were really on board with Willander. Mm-hmm. They really were. And it wasn't just Clancy who believed that if they traded down... Not only does that open the opportunity for Arizona to take him, yeah. there's some sense that if Arizona doesn't take him, they might trade out to allow somebody to come in and get him. They're, they were afraid that there was somebody else, at least one or two teams, that were going to jump on the opportunity to take Willander if Vancouver didn't take him at 11. That's why they didn't take him. It's not because of what Clancy said. That's how they felt about it. And in terms of him still being at the draft table, this happens every single year where people in the front office, they're part of the draft. Mm-hmm. Draft ends. They go somewhere else. Like... Front office staff move around all the time. Yes. Like, it's really nothing. Like, I, I don't see anything really strange about this. Like, it's really, it's, it's a bit of a nothing burger to me. Um, this text comes in. I don't, I didn't know lateral moves like this were allowed. I thought it would be mainly promotional moves. Uh, again, he does get a little bit of an addition to his title. He was just AGM with the Canucks. Now it's AGM player personnel with the Maple Leafs. And as Jim Rutherford's statement suggests, you know, the Canucks uh, believe that uh, this is good for them and for Derek Clancy as well. They weren't going to get in his way, yeah. right? And it's up to, ultimately, it's up to the team. They can mm-hmm. be like, hey, we're going to let you go. 
Yeah. You know, like the team can still let you go. I think it's, I would say there was a thought that maybe it was Cammy or Emily that would get poached somewhere, yeah. you know, but that didn't happen. But like I said, I think there was a sense that somebody from the front office this year was going to get poached. And if that happened, they were probably not going to replace that person. And they weren't going to necessarily get in the way of that happening mm-hmm. because the only person I think they feel like they have to replace if they get rid of yep. is Emily. Because she's the contract person too. She does a lot of different works on the legal side of things yes. and on the contract side of stuff. And that's a specific skill set I think you would have to replace because I don't think they have somebody internally that to do that if she left. And they're capologists to certain effects, yeah. right? So I think that's something that you have to replace. But between Ryan Johnson, between Cammy Granado and Clancy, yeah, I thought if one of those one of those left, they probably weren't going to replace them, especially with having Scott Young and others part of the organization. And uh, that's what's going to happen. I will say, um, you know, we've talked a lot about this as we continually assess the front office of the Vancouver Canucks. They've now been in place for what eighteen months. Yeah, and since. Rutherford came in, and uh, again, Clancy was his first hire, and a lot of what he did was on the pro and amateur scouting side. Certainly from the pro scouting side, the Canucks have had more success, it feels, in the last 18 months with the players that they've identified Hmm. than they were having with the previous regime in place. Um, So that's something you hope continues as the Canucks uh, lose Derek Clancy to the Toronto Maple Leafs. So direct your... uh, they have a whole roster of AGMs jokes to now the Toronto Maple Leafs. They have all the AGMs. <laughs> they have all the AGMs. And, and honestly, um, here's here's a question for you, Dan. Okay. I like questions. Is this the most notable breaking news we get for the Canucks until September? I hope not. <laughs> so I got another like two weeks before I get my first week of summer vacation. Hey, so bro, I'm, I, taking... I'm hoping uh, I'm hoping something comes up. Uh, I'm gone for two weeks after Friday. Yeah. So maybe this <laughs> is just me wishfully. Like, I would bet no. Okay. You would bet no. I would bet no. That doesn't mean nothing will happen. Things can happen. But I, I would like it. We mentioned this yesterday. Heck, we even mentioned this. You know, before we, yeah. we ended Connect Central. Connects are still trying to make moves happen. They're going to be active. Hopefully, they bring us together, but it probably is going to take until training camp September for the next big shoe to drop here if Vancouver has one. Highly unlikely uh, that something happens with the Canucks. I think there's going to be some shoes to drop around the league, but for the Canucks, Vancouver's kind of in a spot where it's like, well, kind of everybody knows what our cards are here. So it's up to them to call us and figure out if they mm-hmm. want Connor Garland or not. So I think that's sort of the situation that Vancouver finds itself in. Could there be some other things on the table, bigger things? I'm sure they'd be open to anything, as they continuously say. Patrick Alvine's famous line, we're always looking to make our hockey team better. But um, aside from cliches, uh, I don't know that the Canucks will be overly busy in the next few weeks in the lead-up training camp in September. Uh, So some other Canucks-related things here since we're on that train. I was... uh, For those saying we need NFL talk, there's NFL talk coming up. There's baseball talk coming up. We we have a lot of non-hockey coming up, and we're here to... We have two two hours and 45 minutes to go. Man, we got three hours to fill here in the summer. We got plenty. Yeah, we got got plenty to come through the course of the program. So So rest your little heart. We're going to get to a lot of non-Canucks things. Uh, I got lots of Kirk Cousins takes after starting to watch quarterback. Oh, you're in on Kirk Cousins now. Uh, I'm not. 
don't know if I'm in, but uh, definitely uh, he's he's doing a the opposite of a heel turn right now after the uh, the quarterback series dropped on Netflix. But uh, perusing through and, and trying to find uh, you know, hockey-related things to talk about today, Canucks do not have a top 50 drafted prospect, according to Scott Wheeler of The Athletic. Scott, a... Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, semi-regular guest here on the show brings uh, his takes on the many prospects each and every year that are going into the NHL draft yeah. and it, you know it is a subjective list because uh, if you've looked at Scott's work before you kind of know and have an idea of who he likes and doesn't like mm-hmm. and uh, Jonathan Lekaramaki and Tom Willander are both notably outside the top 50 on this list now just for the sake of um, accuracy, there's 50 players on the list, like you mentioned, and yeah. then there is a list of honorable mentions, mm-hmm. and there's like 60 honorable <laughs> mentions. And amongst those players, and amongst those honorable mentions, you do see like Harry Mackey, mm-hmm. you do see Tom Rolander. So mm-hmm. if you want to be positive, you can say, well, yeah, hey, these guys are not top 50 prospects, but both are top 100 prospects. Yeah. So I mean, hey, it's it's just how you view things, right? Even Atu Ratu on the honorable. Yes, you're right. List. So three, three Canucks yes. on the on the honorable mention list. You could say the of the 110 prospects in the <laughs> NHL. Yes, the Canucks have three of them. Right. So I mean, it, it just comes down to how you view those I mean, things. Uh, if you think about it from a baseball perspective, the Angels are looking for multiple top 100 prospects for Shohei Otani. So the Canucks can get Shohei Otani. Canucks can make a make a pitch. Trade for Shohei Otani. <laughs> Listen, he can pitch, he can hit. I'm sure if he can skate, I'm sure he can score goals. I mean, you know, right? just line him up for hammer exactly. a couple sla- clappers on the one team. You got what you play. need, man. We'll yeah. get it done. But uh, you know what? Like, um, and, and I and I'm, I'm not trying. I'm not crapping on Scott at all because you know he he does his list and everything. The one thing I would say to keep in mind is a lot of the players on that list are players that were just drafted this year. 37 on that list is Andrew Crystal, for instance. Yep. Right? None of these players have been driven off the lot yet. No. The, these draft picks that are made... They're basically all guys that were drafted in the last two years. It's you pre-ordering a car. You haven't driven it off the lot yet. But once you drive it <laughs> off the lot... It hasn't lost half its value yet. It hasn't lost its value yet. And I think what happens as soon as next year begins, half of these prospects that were drafted this year yeah. are going to kind of struggle. They'll dip down a little bit. The list is going to look a lot different. So it's a good list. Yeah. And it's intriguing. And I think it tells us what we've already known, that as much as Vancouver's made improvements, they've still only picked 15th and 11th the last two years. Haven't yeah. had first-round picks in the two prior years before that. Mm-hmm. So what do you what do you think? What do you expect? Do you expect them to have like four or five top 50 prospects? They don't have enough prospects to begin with. They need more, obviously, right? Yes. But I'd say to get a better sense of the top 50 guys, do this list in six months. Do this list in nine months. Then we can see where Rolander is relative to his draft class. Yeah. We can see where, like, Hiramaki is two years after his draft class, where Alturatu is potentially. And in six or nine months, if more of these lists emerge and we don't have Canucks in the top 50, maybe that can then... I wouldn't be. I wouldn't necessarily say it's a cause for concern, but yeah. I'd say that it could pique your interest to some degree. Like there's a guy like Marco Rossi who still ranks very high. Yeah, and he's done well in the AHL, but he's five nine and really struggled anytime he's played in the NHL. Yeah. So it comes down to how you view him. Some might view him as hey top fifty prospect. Others view him as he's probably not going to be a player. So it is subjective. Uh, Alex Holtz, uh, one of the older players on this list too, is uh, now twenty one. Lucas Reichel with the Chicago Blackhawks. You know, and, and certainly with Holtz, sort of a similar story where you might like this player quite a bit, but anytime he's come up to the NHL, he's left a little bit to de- be desired. Um, you know, now that could change this year with the 
uh, New Jersey Devils, but you know, these are all extremely young players. And just by uh, a quick look at this list, you know, you get a, a good sense of how much most prospects value sort of drop, as you mentioned, right after the draft. Like the yeah. highest player from last year's draft on this list is Logan Cooley at six. Yeah. So, you know, even a guy like Shane Wright drops all the way into the teens after the year that he just had, and he was drafted fourth overall last year. So, you know, it's it, it happens quick for a lot of these guys where your stock starts to drop after you've been drafted. Yeah. Um, that's just kind of the way that it goes. But as much as you can look at this and say, hey, Canucks don't have any players in the top 50, again, if you – take the context of where the Canucks prospect pool was 18 months ago and where it is now. I mean, it, it has seen significant improvement. Like they've added yeah. three essentially top 100 prospects now, right. Oh, in, yeah. in the space of 18 months, because they got out to in the trade with Bo Horvat and they drafted those two players in the first round, each of these last two seasons. And, and you know what? Like it's all relative, right? Yeah. Vancouver went from literally having the worst prospect pool in the entire national hockey league. Basically. Like, yeah. it, no, it, it did. Like if you yep. compared it to other teams, like taking an objective view of the Canucks prospect pool comparative to other teams, it was the worst. Yeah. Cause they didn't have enough guys to begin with. Right. I mean, like we were sitting here and talking about guys like Jonathan Myrenberg being top five prospects and he's fine. Yes. Right. Like I like Myrenberg. We like them. Like, but a long shot. Yeah. You yeah. know, Mikey DiPietro was still making like top 10 Canucks prospect lists yes. not that long ago, for instance, right? And how much value was was really there on those players? They've now gone from being the worst in the league. You can make the argument that they're still in, in the bottom quarter of the league. Yeah. Like maybe they're 26th or 27th or something you can make the case. But that's still a big improvement from being dead last. You still have to do more. But but I think you're you're starting to get to a point where if a couple of players break right for you, all of a sudden, maybe you get to the middle of the pack. Yeah. If you get to the middle of the pack, now you have options. Um, one of these uh, questions coming in on the Dunbar Lumber text line from Marcus uh, is, Artur Silovs, one of the top goalies not yet in the NHL? Um, I think Silovs would probably make the list. Uh, but would he, though? There's quite a few really high-end goalie prospects. I like Artur Silovs. Don't yeah. get me wrong. He, he'd probably be like a fringe top 10, 10 guy. Yeah, because, I mean, as much as, as good as he's been, he showed some you know talent in the NHL level and everything. Yeah. He's got a very small track record still. Yeah. Uh, I mean, coming off the world championships, his stock is definitely rising. But it you is. Know, you've got guys like that were drafted in the first round recently, like Wallstadt, Askarov, uh, Sebastian Kosa. Dustin Wolf has been, what, two-time reigning AHL goalie of yeah. the year with the Calgary Flames. Uh, Devin Levi, you yeah. know, he played a couple of games at the end of the year. Like I, I've just named five guys right there, there off the top of my head. And I'm not exactly like a goalie guru or any, of any kind. So, and I'm not trying to crap on seal loves. Like yeah. he's, he's a really, he's one of the Canucks better prospects. He is, but I, I think it's a stretch to say he's a top three to five goalie prospect, not in the national hockey league yet. Right. I think he can get there. He has yeah. a lot of talent. He has a lot of ability, but once you start kind of taking a step back and seeing some of the other goalies, Mm -hmm. that are performing well and, and have high ceilings. He probably falls in that top 10 range rather than a top five range. Uh, we will uh, keep the hockey conversation going and even get to more of your texts on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Uh, boys, Kudryatsev isn't getting enough love. Kid is trending to be a steal of his draft, likely the best D-man 
on the OHL in the OHL this season, and he's mean. Ask Josh Bloom. <laughs> that is from Kevin in Comox uh, for a seventh round pick. Kudryatsev looks to be a very interesting prospect for the Vancouver Canucks, but yes, uh, still a long way to go for him to make good on being a good seventh round pick and actually an NHL player. For sure. Now him earning a contract yes. a year after, uh, less than a year after being drafted is very promising yes. as a late round, as a late draft pick, you know? Uh, so, so there's a lot to like about him. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, still a long way to go. It's still, it's still a long way to go, but he is very talented. He is, he's got a bit of a mean streak to him. And we talked about him last year. Um, and it was kind of funny because we were doing a little bit of like reconnaissance on some Canucks prospects. Yes. And one of the guys we kind of got some positive feedback was on was Kudratsev. It's like, hey, the, the guy you guys should, you know, keep an eye on is Kudratsev. And then we talked about him and two days later, the Canucks signed him. Yes. So it's like he's been quietly, you know, rising. And there's some promise there. But I think what the Canucks now have is. They have about three or four good prospects, and then they have about, I think, seven to ten intriguing guys that can go either way. Yeah. Most are not going to get anywhere, but could one or two of these guys become something? And I think Kudratsev is in that discussion where it could go either way. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah coming up. We'll check in on the Colorado Avalanche and their interesting offseason. Evan Rowell of Colorado Hockey Now is going to join us next on The People Show. People show continues here on uh, Sportsnet 650. Help support Challenger Baseball BC by participating in the Jays Care Celebrity Golf Classic. This year's tournament, July 27th at Tawasson Springs. Limited foursomes are still available for next Thursday. Visit jayscaregolf.ca for more details and to check out the silent auction, which is live now. Should be a great event. Again, I will be the MC, so check it out. At jayscaregolf.ca, limited foursomes still available for July 27th at Tawasson Springs, supporting Challenger Baseball BC. Stan Richo and Satyar Shah. We continue the hockey discussion and check it in on the Colorado Avalanche with Evan Rowell of Colorado Hockey Now. Thanks for this, Evan. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you guys? Uh, we're, we're pretty good. Still a, a little bit in shock from the number that Ross Colton got yesterday avoiding arbitration with a four-year 16 million dollar deal seemed a little bit expensive at first uh, at first sight for me how did you feel about the deal yeah it, it was a little bit more than i anticipated i figured a you know i would say maybe about five hundred thousand more than I, I had initially thought but i think the arbitration you know if he had gone to arbitration it would have been one year deal and sent him right to unrestricted free agency so he had a little bit of negotiating power there and the abs you know, I think they traded for him. They like him. They just decided, hey, let's let's get this done. Let's sign him. And I think the uh, the contracts the last two years of JT Comper and Andrew Kopp kind of, you know, helped help Colton out a little bit in this in this instance. So the Fs, you know, maybe overpaid a little bit, but um, yeah, they obviously like the player. So we'll see how he performs. 
And I think, you know, he was a guy that Vancouver was linked to a little bit when he was still with Tampa, but obviously, you know, they, they couldn't, didn't have the assets to be able to pull that trade off. And I think one of the reasons Vancouver was interested and other teams had interest in him is he's a guy who can score goals. He's great in the face-off circle, has size, can play different positions, but he was utilized, you know, sparingly, spar- sparingly really with that team and hadn't really played a bigger featured role. So I guess if you're projecting him to be more than what he's shown, like there is a chance if he hits and is the player they think he can be down the middle, then maybe that contract doesn't even look that bad down the road. Yeah, I mean, he is just one year removed from 22 goals. So mm-hmm. this is not, I mean, this is something the Avs like to do. They like to find guys that are, you know, around this age, 25, 26, who are, have good underlying metrics on teams, but are maybe buried a little bit in the depth chart. They did it with Andre Burakovsky in Washington. Um, they did, you know, they've done it several times before. So this is this is not a surprise as, as far as like a type a type of player that they would try to acquire. So they obviously see him, and I guess Miles Wood kind of falls in that area as well as a guy who they he's performed well in a smaller role, and if they give him an increased increased role, then his production is just going to continue to go up because all of his metrics are really strong, especially on the offensive side. You know, I think uh, everybody was wondering how the the Avalanche would react this off season. You know, they they win the cup, and then last year it's a little bit of a disappointment the way that it ends in the playoffs. They had a lot of injuries and things that they were trying to overcome and weren't able to do it. But you look at Ross Colton, uh, Ryan Johansson, Miles Wood, Jonathan Drouin. What do you think uh, Joe Joe Sackick and Chris McFarland were? looking at improving overall with this team and did they uh, did they accomplish it this offseason yeah I, I do think they accomplished it so I think last year they Chris McFarland his first full season as GM you know he didn't really tinker too much with the team he kind of just worked around the edges and I think fans were a little frustrated with that because they had Nathan McKinnon and Mika Ritten and having career years and felt like they should have gone for it at the deadline but he kind of just you know, he just tinkered. He added Lars Eller. He didn't really do too much as far as like a big splash. But the playoffs where the bottom six really just didn't do anything kind of showed. And obviously the second line center position, once Kadri left, they never really filled it. So I think this summer he said, you know, we can't go into the season with the same same type of makeup. Um, they had a pretty small bottom six last year. The addition of Colton and Miles Wood really changes that, adds some physicality to the team. Um, and Ryan Johansson, I mean, that remains to be seen if he can be a second line center, but they acquired him for, I mean, literally nothing. So, uh, it's, it's a good risk to take. And I imagine he's going to play with Mika Rand. And so he's going to get all the chances in the world to show that he's still got the goods to be a good second line center. Well, and I think one of the things with Colorado, you kind of mentioned this before, they've been fantastic at making trades and they do a great job of identifying players. One thing they've struggled with somewhat, and it's struggling when it comes to outside of the top guys. I mean, they've done a great job with Ranton and McKinnon, obviously drafting them, but they haven't had as much success when it comes to developing players taken a bit later in the second round and stuff like that. And they traded a player they drafted in the first round in, in Alex Newhook and sold high on him, obviously. But is that an indication of, they're more comfortable trading for players they feel like already, as opposed to maybe developing those guys into those types of positions. Yeah. I think eventually they're going to have to figure out this development issue because yeah. it has been an issue for a while. Um, it's, it's really outside of the top 10. They've kind of struggled with developing players. You've got Tyson Jost, new hook. You have Martin Kaut, who was a first round pick who just didn't do really anything. So they need to start hitting on draft picks and developing players inside the organization. Cause 
you know, you can't just trade the players forever. They're running out of assets as it is already. So um, the new hook trade, it's, you know, I, I, I think they did a good job there as far as identifying that, hey, he still has value. We don't see him as a fit. Let's get what we can for him. And they did pretty well as far as getting the late first and early second. But it is definitely something that they struggled with over the years. And they they kept two first-round picks this year, and they're going to need to figure out the development cycle here soon because they have so many big contracts that eventually they're going to need some entry-level deals to help out. Well, and uh, one of those big contracts that's coming up is Devon Taves, who's uh, entering the final year of his deal. And we know he's been an incredible find for this this Avalanche team, but is uh, the you know progression plan just handing that job over to Bowen Byram once Devon Taves' contract ends up, ends off next year? Uh, well, I mean that remains to be seen. I mean Bowen Byram, the, the thing is. I guess the Avs have a lot of defensemen, but there are a lot of question marks here because Bowen Byram, as good as he can be when he's healthy, um, handing him the job or tra- or getting rid of Devontae's or just letting him walk as a free agent, that's a, that's a big risk because Byram have not shown that he can actually stay healthy. So um, Byram's a good, I guess, guy to have in case you lose Taves, but I, I do think that they're going to make a priority that uh, that Devontae's is going to get extended this summer. I think that's what they want to do. Um, he's, He's 30 years old, or he'll be 30 years old when the new contract kicks in. But he's he's kind of a young 30 because he didn't enter the NHL until, mm-hmm. until his late 20s. So he's just been such a good fit for the Avs, and they're they're contending. I just don't know how you can let a defenseman like that walk for free. I think they're going to find a way to get this done. Yeah, I mean, I, I would be shocked. I think if you have Taves and you have Byram and obviously McCarr, I mean, you do everything you can to keep those three guys together, especially given the age of Byram and McCarr. Now, one player that I think a lot of people on the outside have been wondering if and when he's going to get traded on the back end, and that is Sammy Girard. Now, given how, how hard it is to move money in the league now, any sort of trade talk I think is, is somewhat moot, but what what is the situation with Sammy Girard? Like, is he a guy that people on the outside always assume is going to get traded that is more valued within the organization? Yeah, he's, I mean, his, I feel like his name's been in the trade rumors for years, mm-hmm. and it's not from the abs, it's just from the outside, because they look at the defense and they say, well, you know, they're not going to trade McCarr, not going to trade Taves, they're not going to trade Byram, the guy that's going to move is Girard, but the organization loves him. The coaching staff loves him. Uh, they trust him a lot. Um, he's very polarizing in the fan base. A lot of fans don't like him just because, you know, he's a smaller defenseman, but he, he did have a really strong year last year and $5 million a year for a good second pairing defenseman is pretty good value. So the Avs are in no real rush to trade him. And the way that they're built, they're built through their back end. Mm-hmm. Like they just waves and waves of offense. So I don't think they want to move Gerard at all unless they're absolutely forced to, which if they have to pay Taze a lot of money, they might eventually be forced to, but I just don't see that happening this season. Uh, one big unresolved issue still is the health of uh, Gabriel Landeskog, who missed the entire previous season. He's still injured, obviously going through his situation. What What is the latest on him, and is there expectation he could play at some point this year, or like is this could this be a lot worse than people thought in terms of his career being in jeopardy? Uh, there's well, I, I don't think he's expected to play this season. That's kind of the expectation is that he's going to miss the season. Um, when he talked right before the surgery, he didn't want to rule out the playoffs, but um, there's just not a lot of history with the surgery as far as NHL players. Um, I know Mark Mathot got it and Lonzo Ball got in the NBA, but there's just not a lot of history to go off of. Um, so the Avs are still hopeful. They're not going to really take a C away because they expect him to be back. 
Um, and if there's anyone I'm going to bet on coming back from the surgery, it's Gabe Landeskog. But there are just future a lot of future questions around whether or not Landeskog can return. And if he does return, is he going to be the same type of guy? Because that will have been at least two years of NHL hockey that he's going to have missed, and that's very difficult to come back from. Well, one thing I did learn uh, from your Twitter account, Evan, is that uh, Gabriel Landeskog is uh, now investing in Leeds United. So uh, he's going he's gonna to have his uh, yeah. he's going to have his work due for him to get them back to the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, Eric Johnson got him to invest in horses a couple of years ago, and he said that didn't go very well for him. So I think investing in a soccer club is a little bit, you know, better investment. And, you know, it sounds like a lot of guys are getting involved in that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Evan, really appreciate your insights today. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, there is uh, Evan Rowell of Colorado Hockey Now joining us here on the People's Show. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. Yeah, the Landeskog thing is, like, he's going to miss two full years. Yes. That's problematic. That's very difficult. You know, like, that's kind of what I, I wanted to see if there's anything has changed from the word of, you know, where he's kind of been and whether he comes back at some point this year. But any time a guy, and he's not even that old, but he's getting to his 30s here, yeah. right? You miss two full years. Is he, like, how do you come back from that? Yeah, do you come back? It's very difficult to do. You know, like it's. I can't think of too many players uh, in the National Hockey League that have done something like that. Like, how long was Krejci? Krejci wasn't out, out because he was like playing, playing. In, he was playing in Europe. I, I'd say the, I'd say the closest thing that I can think of off the top of my head is Timo Solane. Yeah. Remember, he really he had his injuries and he was trying to play through it. And it looked like his career was shot. And then the lockout happened. He was forced to not play a whole year and yeah. he finally got healthy. But it looked like he was done. And he thought he might be done and not was going to play again. And he finally got healthy enough to get back to play. But it looked like Timo Solani's career was over when the big lockout happened in, in 05, 04, 05. Then he came back and he kind of found his game again. But it really seemed like Solani was done, like he was yeah. washed. Um, Gary Roberts. Yeah. The neck neck injury. The yeah. neck injury didn't ha- like was unable to play. Obviously, Mario Lemieux on a couple of different occasions, but um, but I mean Mario super didn't... Super Mario a little bit of a different caliber. Yeah, and he had, but he didn't miss two full years, did he? No, uh, yeah, was it two full missed... years? Well, he retired for three full years. That's what it was. He retired back. for he retired for three years, and then yeah. you know he had the back injuries and everything. But I'd say Timu is the one I think of when it looked like he was done, right? Because. Um, he oh three oh four. He had sixteen goals and thirty two points. Yeah. And the year prior, he had twenty eight goals and sixty four points. And the year before, at fifty four points in eighty two games, twenty nine goals. But the thing is, like, he went from being a guy who scored fifty to thirty and had a point per game player and above. And from two thousand until two thousand and five, he was essentially a fifty point guy, maybe a sixty point guy. Like yeah. he wasn't the same Solani anymore, right? And then the lockout happens. He scores 40 and 48 in back-to-back years. And then four years later, he scores 31 again and has another 80-point year. So, I mean, I think if you're looking for any motivation there, it's kind of like him. But I wonder about Landeskog, man. Like, you yeah. missed two full years and an injury that is somewhat unprecedented with his surgery, like you mentioned. Like, do we, even, do we ever, ever even see him come back? It, you are not wrong to ask the question. Uh, somebody's asked about uh, Nolan Patrick. Um you know, Nolan Patrick missed a lot of time through his development, through injury, and, you know, is never really going to be able to live up to being the second overall selection. He played 25 games with the Vegas Golden Knights this year, but, yeah, been a tough go for Nolan Patrick. Um, it's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. You know, it's really fascinating with Colorado, too, the Devon Taves situation, because 
here you have a top, top, top defenseman in the National Hockey League going to be 30 years old when his contract extension kicks in, if he signs one with the Colorado Avalanche, or he'll be an unrestricted free agent next summer. More likely, you know, he doesn't end up becoming a free agent because players of that caliber rarely do become free agents, especially as defensemen. But it's one of those things similar to the situation Carolina finds itself in with Brett Pesci. Do you want to hire or sign that player to a seven, eight year deal when you know they're not going to be able to make good on the totality of that eight year contract? Yeah, I think it depends on the guy. Um, and when you have a ready-made replacement in Bowen Byron. Well, I think for them, yeah. right? Like, I don't. On why would Colorado trade for any defenseman? Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, if anything, just sign Taves. Yeah. And you know, you have Byram still, and I think having those three guys, Byram, Taves, and McCarr is enough. Yeah. Because then you can get all. You can put McCarr and Taves together. You can have Byram being the focal point of your second pair. You can play somebody with him. You can figure out your third pair. Like as much as you want to have a team that has four bonafide top four defensemen. Yeah. If you have a McCart, it counts as two almost, right? Yeah. Devon Taves is a top pairing defenseman, and Bowen Byram can be a top pairing defenseman. So if you have three guys that are anywhere from a number one to a number two, yeah, like it, it pretty much covers because they'll be able to carry the rest of it, right? So I don't, I don't think for them the focus should be on defense. Somebody asked us why didn't we ask about Nichuskin? Fair point. We could have asked yeah. uh, about Nichuskin as well. His situation remains still very much like in the air. Yeah, but. I don't think they're at a spot yet where his contract's going to get terminated or anything. Like, there has to be some legalese that happens. And so far, it looks like there's going to be no criminal charges. Yeah. So, like, what, what, you know what I mean? What are, what are the grounds for him to have his contract terminated unless he leaves himself on his own volition, which I don't know if he wants to do? Uh, Nichushkin is expected back for the yeah. Avalanche this year as it stands right now. So, uh, until there is more information on that situation, um, that's what we know, and that is the latest. But when you look at Colorado's setup, and, and this is just strictly from a interest of a player potentially becoming available. You mentioned Sam Gerrard when we were talking to Evan there, and he seems the most likely to become available. Let's say they do give the extension to Devon Taves, whatever that looks like. Well, maybe they're able to keep the group together for this upcoming season. Mm -hmm. But next year, cap goes up. You probably have a few more suitors to take on Samuel Gerrard and the three remaining years at $5 million for that player. And that's probably how that situation plays out, especially since his name has been in the rumor mill forever. But that could be an interesting defenseman that becomes available in trade as early as next summer. Yeah, we'll see. Um, I'm looking at trades around the national hockey league and i'm like i mean here, here's the thing with colorado right and and any of these teams like if you have a player mm -hmm. like say gerard or even brett pesce now pressure isn't expiring so it's a bit different but unless you have an expiring contract like you gotta take something back yeah well gerard's not getting traded now no like, he's not maybe next summer and it's kind of like the canuck situation like yeah you can you're not going to trade garland now next summer maybe maybe even garland though <laughs> I, I mean yeah he's gonna have to have a really good year yeah guys like he's gonna have to be really good so that's just out on any trades like trades right. just aren't happening in the national hockey league anymore they're not like i'm honestly so excited at the start of the the offseason you thought some trades were gonna happen yeah and then we, all did. we all we all did, did. It's, it's what it seemed like and then and then what happened we saw the same signs we yeah. always see of yeah. like you know everybody puckering talk. up and getting scared to do anything yes
You know, a lot of talk, no action. Draft table is just like, you know what? We're just going to make our selection. The draft is what what when I when I realized that nothing's happening around the draft. Yeah, I was like, uh oh, yeah, this is going to be really boring. Like it was. Remember how quiet? Like there was like no rumors either. And part of it was like, hey, maybe that's a good thing because like nothing's getting out. But there was was a couple of things like there was Dubois and whatever that got that happened a few days in the lead up to the draft, and then we got to draft night and it was like, yeah, there's not gonna. There wasn't a single trade on on the first in the first round. No Eric Carlson movement. It was just like a lot of like, maybe this will happen, but nothing actually And if you missed yesterday's show, uh, we ranted quite a bit about the reasons why trades don't happen. Yes. And why the league is so broke and there's no money to go around. (laughs) Like no team has cap space. And it's just like, again, like, you know, last year everybody was mad because the Canucks took so long to trade Bo and, and all that. It's like, yeah, same thing for these teams. You know, like they want to make these trades, but there's only so much you can do. You can't force a trade. Uh, so Colorado should be an interesting team upcoming this year. There was a, an interesting story that popped up yesterday, actually, and it came from Ryan O'Reilly doing an interview in Toronto and sort of a um, goodbye to Toronto as he signed with the Nashville Predators in free agency. And he was asked if the spotlight was a reason he decided to move on from the Maple Leafs. And his response was, it wasn't the ultimate decision there. I think so many things come into play, but yeah, I think that is a factor as well. It is different. It is something I did enjoy for the time there, but I just felt it was better to be somewhere else. And that was part of what Ryan O'Reilly had to say on his reasoning and part of his reasoning for leaving Toronto. This is not breaking any state secrets. You know, that discussion had already come out after he signed with the Nashville Predators for a very reasonable number in free agency. But I'm kind of just happy a player's honest about it. Like, yeah, you know, I didn't say I'd rather play in somewhere that I'm not the focal point or not in the fishbowl or everybody's focused so much on the hockey team. And it played a factor in my decision on where to go in free agency. I can appreciate the honesty. Yeah, he's he's being honest about it. And and I think we have this discussion all the time about Canadian markets and whether, you know, players actually want to play there or not. And there are players that don't want to be in Canadian markets, right? Yeah. I would say it's interesting hearing it from Ryan O'Reilly's perspective cuz these are the markets he's played in. Colorado, Buffalo, St. Louis. Now he's going to Nashville. Yeah. Buffalo was a mess, and he said he lost his love for the game there, obviously, and, and everything went wrong, right? Buffalo, uh, a market that is a little bit more engaged than, you would say, St. Louis or some of the other places he's played. Yes, but I'd say when you've played in St. Louis, and you talk to some guys who played in St. Louis... They love it. They love it, because it's it's a great lifestyle for the like the area that the players live in. It's a great area, and you are in the shadow of the Cardinals to some degree, but they love the Blues there. Mm-hmm. And in the community they live in, they are treated like stars, but people leave them alone. It's like having the vibe of a Canadian market almost in the games, but people leave you alone. Yeah. And Nashville's kind of similar, where it's like, you know, you're you're a star there, but people kind of leave you alone. It's a really good lifestyle and whatever. So it's like it's it's so it's seventy five percent of being it's like seventy five percent of playing in Canada without the BS. Yeah. And if you're used to that, it's kind of hard to come and embrace a Canadian market. It's very it can be a lot. Right, you saw what happened with Chris Pronger when he went to the when he got traded from the Blues to the Edmonton Oilers too. Yeah, he's like, no, and he's did it for a couple of years. Like, I'm good, yeah. I'm out, I can't do this. I went to the Stanley Cup final, I'm gone. I can't, I can't do this full time. And some players are just, they just prefer it. Yeah. You know, 
to go to a warm weather market, uh, to not, you know, for some players to not have to be around family all the time, you know, where you grew up and you have people constantly calling you and pulling you away in different directions that can play a factor for some. I think if you're a Canadian team, you know, this, you understand this, and you also have to do a little bit more homework in understanding which players will thrive in that sort of an environment, which players don't mind being in that sort of environment because it does come with the territory and almost you need more players that are okay with it. And they just, you know, it's water over their back. You know, it doesn't matter to them. Everything, all of that outside noise, it doesn't bother them whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I think that has to be part and parcel with your character evaluation when you're trying to bring in players. Well, absolutely. It has to be right. And if, and if you are lacking in that regard, like I think the thing with Ryan O'Reilly too is, and, so remember we were talking about the bank, the Canucks being interested in him. Yeah. And then towards the last couple of days, it, it became a little evident that hey, if Vancouver was going to get him, they would have to really overpay. So I think there was a price that O'Reilly would play in Canada for. Yes. But nobody met that price. Yeah. You know, and it wasn't going to be five million or five times three or whatever for it. Like, I think if somebody would have offered him Might six have to be six by four or five and a half, yeah. like, there was a number he would have played in Canada for, but it was a premium number. And it was just, I think it was prohibitive for Vancouver. And it was prohibitive for a team like Toronto even. Yeah. Because you looked at it and said, well, he got under five to go to Nashville. And that would have made sense. He wasn't going to do that in, in a Canadian market. No. He was probably looking for 24, 25 million yes. total money to be in a Canadian market. And you can look at that a lot of different ways. Maybe it's the tax situation, but he's kind of honest about it in that it's part and parcel with the spotlight. You know, yeah. some guys just don't want it and they'd rather not have to deal with it. And Ryan O'Reilly was honest about it. And he's won a Stanley Cup. Yep. Right? You know, and he's made a lot of money, won a Stanley Cup. He went to Toronto, didn't quite work out. And it's like, I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) I'm good. And he's a big musician too, right? Yeah. And he he loves the music scene. So like, I I think it's one of those things. It's like, I think- It's a lifestyle choice. it It is a lifestyle choice. But- there's only like a handful of those markets. Yeah. You know? And right now, I mean, if, if Nashville wasn't knocking on the door, what are you, you going to do? And you're just signing with the Canadian team. Yeah, right. Or you're signing with whoever is looking at you. Uh, all right. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shaw. Coming up, Jeremy Carlton, Abbotsford Canucks head coach, is going to join us next on The People's Show.